Hey, welcome to the newest episode of the Articulate Ox Podcast. I am your host, Soma79. Thank you so, 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 so much for joining me today. My guest today is Will Hagel, and he has written this book on Mad Villainy, the 33 and a third book. He's literally written the book on what may be the greatest independent hip-hop album of all time, Mad Villainy by Mad Villain, Mad Lib, MF Doom. Y'all know what I'm talking about. It's absolutely one of the greatest albums of all time, one of my favorites. And Will takes a really cool take at how he goes about um, goes about um, talking about the album, the creation of the album. He has a little bit of a spin of his own to it, which we'll get into during the during the podcast interview. He talks to tons of people inside the Mad Villain orbit and gets lots of great information. It's it's a really awesome book. I pre-ordered it as soon as I saw that it was coming out. And as soon as I read it, I reached right out to Will to see if he wanted to be on the podcast and talk about it because I can chop it up about Doom all day long. I'm always happy to talk to another fan and um, Will had a very interesting perspective and I'm really glad that he wrote this book. So definitely grab it. I saw that it was selling out some places. So if you want it, get it, you know, with Doom stuff, they, it tends to disappear quickly. So um, go out and grab it. So check out the book, check out Will Hagel, RIP Doom, check out some Mad Lib. Hey, welcome to the newest episode of the Articulate Ox podcast. My guest today is someone I'm very excited to talk about. I was just telling him that I had ordered this book on Amazon as soon as I saw it, and I've been waiting and waiting, and it finally arrived the other day. This is Will Hagel. He literally wrote the book on Mad Villainy, which to many is the greatest independent hip-hop album of all time. So, Will, how are you doing today? I'm good. Thanks for having me. Excellent. Thank you for being here. So, my first question is, there's... I, this is there's so many people who have been dying to write. I'm sure would, would have dying for the assignment to write this book. Um, it's just it's such a rich topic, and it's it's obviously you know the, the Doom legend is only growing, and now that he's gone, how did you get to be the one that that um got to write this book? It's a good question, and I was obviously thinking about that a lot while I was in the process of writing it, and now that it's come out, and when I was kind of interviewing people for the book, because you know I. I'm probably not the one to be writing the mad villainy story because I wasn't around for it being recorded. You know, I wasn't involved with it. I'm just like a fan. And that's kind of how I tried to approach the book. And uh, I actually, before writing the book, I was pretty skeptical of any sort of writing about doom, especially. And then mad lib is just kind of a hard subject to write about. Um, and I feel like there's a lot of skepticism from people who are, I, I guess I'm speaking from my own perspective, that I was skeptic that anyone would be able to really write about this album and these artists in like a long form book such as this. So I almost immediately regretted it after being accepted. But I wasn't really thinking about that when I submitted the proposal for the 33 and a third series, which is what it came out on. Uh, and you know, I just, like you said, I mean, it's one of not just independent hip hop, like underground hip hop, whatever. Like, I think it's just one of the best albums of all time. Yeah. So for a book series about albums, it was naturally one that came to mind first. 
Yeah, it got me wondering what I'd have to do to get the Break the Danger Doom one. But um, no, yeah. no. <laughs> that's uh, those th- th- this I, I was around when these albums came out. I heard the leak of Mad Villain before it came out and I was I was super excited. And I hadn't listened to that. And I sort of forgot about that part of the story. But after I re- reread about it in the book, I went back and replayed that. And it brought me back to that feeling. I'm like, oh, his voice is a little bit different. Like there's a, some of the songs aren't missing. You can't imagine it without accordion now, you know. Yeah, although but, there is a lot on that version of the album i think that is worth revisiting for people who either have never heard it or are revisiting it after a long period of time oh uh, not, not, yeah not just because it's interesting of how it changed but it's just good on its own it certainly is it is yeah. and it's a little more compact i think it comes in in only about 40 minutes i want to say um so it's uh i don't know i guess better for your shorter runs i don't know but yeah. um it's it's truly it's yeah it's it's amazing so one thing I want to ask about the book. So you took sort of a um, a different style to approach in this book, and you can probably explain it better than I can. But um, just to kind of get it going, it's it's written from the perspective of three different AI programs, and that yeah. kind of comes in and out of the book to some degree. But can you kind of explain that a little bit? And- yeah. So it, I've heard other people say that, so it's a little like I didn't exactly probably accomplish what I set out to do. But one of the characters is supposed to be an AI character which is kind of actually i started writing it like two years ago and ai wasn't even as big of a topic as it is yeah. now so it's like a little cringeworthy i guess when i look at it now because i'm like uh, poor timing like, yeah <laughs> everyone's talking about ai and it's also like ai has gotten to the point where it's writing really well uh, that's be another topic for another day yeah but, but i mean i use it at work i use it at work today for for stuff it's yeah you know, it's... and more and more people i've been talking to like are just regularly using chat gpt for different things and all different sorts of work so it's it's definitely one of those things that's going to be a part of life but and uh the characters of the book are one is essentially two of them are supposed to be human like kind of fictional superheroes you know obviously drawing from inspiration from doom's Doom, yep. uh, mythology and that that character that kind of writes more about doom is called dr truthiverse and his approach the way i conceptualize it is that he when he was a kid he fell into a boy a sewer of boiling truth and essentially saw all the truth of the universe and then dedicated his life after that to telling lies to distract people from the truth because it's so horrible. But kind of used that as a way to talk about Doom because he, he sort of did a similar thing. And it's not, obviously, it's not that far of a leap from his character and mythology. Right. Um, but then also just, you know, as a way to talk about Doom in a way that's not as straightforward as just a regular book about his life or something would be and to kind of celebrate how he was a mysterious figure and stuff like that and then the other character is dr truth of son i don't know if you want me to break all this down but oh that's all good man quickly. dr truth of son is the scene and he was originally i tried to just write in free jazz kind of style inspired by mad lib but over time it changed but basically he's dr truth of son who is the opposite who you know experiences truth but then wants everyone to see it and then the third character is like a ai journalist who works for the same location music journalism publication that the daily daily i believe and is yeah taking it over slowly 
So I kind of tried to weave in, I don't know. I was like, it's weird to write a book about an album, especially artists like this that are held in such high esteem where it's like any book I write about the album is never going to be as good as the actual album. And I, but at the same time, I wanted to try to be inspired by the album to write something that sort of stands on its own a little bit or has another story throughout it. But I think you were successful in, in doing that. It, it it definitely reminded me how on a lot of Doom's albums, like the structure is different than it is on, you know, a lot of other hip hop you hear. There's, there's, you, you can go, I mean, on Victor Von too, I think there's, it's like a 35 minute album and he's only nine minutes of him rapping. Like you can go a long time on a Doom album where you don't actually hear Doom, but it takes you on this other journey that all kind of fits in. And, you know, it's often mentioned about Mad, about Mad Villain. There's no hooks on this album. It's, yeah. you know, and that's something that a lot of people, you know, would never expect from a hip hop album. Yeah. So exactly. I think it does work. It reminded me a little bit of Piver at Watchmen when those there's parts in between where he's where they, they talk where the guys on the shipwrecked character. And it, it sort of had that feel where it kind of like it was nice to take a little vacation in that then go back into it. Because you do make a good point that, you know, the story of Mad Villain is sort of um it's been told a lot i mean there's there were there's been stone throws stone throw documentaries and uh, you know it's for a story that on the surface looks like these meetings of the two minds it's really just um other people that are destined together but it's really just the business deal that kind of just put two people who were essentially strangers in the same place at the same time and you know they just made magic and then went their separate ways yeah that's true and it's like they didn't really think i don't i don't think either of them or anyone like stone's throw thought it was going to be you know uh what it became and it was kind of like oh this seems i mean from everyone i interviewed for the book too and just like like you know any intelligent person already do like if these two people got together then it probably would be great so it wasn't that surprising but um yeah it is kind of funny to think like be just because the legend has grown so much that it really was as simple as you said like putting two yeah. artists together yeah and it's funny is that i remember there was a time where the legends sort of felt like oh they were just in there in the room doing it all together and they were just smoking weed taking shrooms banging it out and as time has come on it's sort of gone the opposite today well now the legend is oh well he was in this room and he was in this room and doom was smoking weed on the roof and he was yeah. in, and madly was in the bomb shelter and you're like well you know, 12 different sides of every story, you know? Yeah, but I love the way they talk about that too in other interviews and stuff like Madlib has done where he's like, I don't even need to be in the same room as Doom to be communicating with him. And even like Doom has said stuff like that about his brother after his brother Subrock passed. Yeah. Like he's in the room with me still like and I'm communicate with him all the time. And I feel like both Doom and Madlib are people who can really communicate well with music whether or not they're actually collaborating live in person right i was glad um before i forget I, I when i was reading the book i was thinking about the meme that you that you mentioned somewhere in the text about the this is the, like the dopest beat ever i'm gonna put four seconds of it on an intro like i i couldn't i was looking for that meme in my phone forever and then i was glad you mentioned it that's just something yeah up. so you have seen it so i didn't i yeah. didn't imagine it then no that really happened <laughs> if i can find it on my phone i'll I'll, um, I'll send it to you but i it made me yeah. laugh so hard and i had like no one to send I'm, like none of my friends get it so like yeah <laughs> i don't know who to send it to yeah um it is surprising though that the um when i looked it up online and i don't know how outdated this number is but it put the sales figure on mad villainy at like one hundred and fifty thousand, which i feel like has to be low but i mean it's, it's definitely had an impact that's reached well beyond that 
you know that does seem real. I think I saw that too, and I was like, I don't really know to be completely honest how much any other album sells, but right, especially yeah. in two thousand four, like it seems like it would have sold more than that. Well, I think it was Pitchfork album of the year too, which, you know, that not that that is like the end all be all, but that certainly puts you in, you know, right in the prime spot of people who like to spend money on, on records and be hip, you know? Yeah, exactly. So it, I feel like that's a underest or like that's yeah, lower than be. it really is, but I have no idea. Then again, how many people stole it? It's probably one of those that's albums true. that's really easy still. Though I will say that I was trying to explain to somebody who didn't know who it was, who, you know, I have the album right here. I, I got This is the one I got when it came out, I believe. Nice. Um, and I'm like, this is essentially Dark Side of the Moon, like from a cover perspective to, you know, our generation. Because it's like, there's, I don't know that there's that many albums that just invoke you with that feeling just by looking at it. You're like, yeah, I know what that is. And that is, yeah, you definitely. know, everybody has a feeling on it. And it's, um, I don't know, it's really, it's a special document. I feel like it was kind of in a weird way, like a marker of one of those albums that's like a clear marker of your taste, which it has evolved, like especially after Doom died, like it's even gone even farther and like that the younger generation is still discovering MF Doom and like holding him to be even not in higher esteem, but I guess more mainstream in a lot of ways. Yeah. Whereas for a long time, like having that record was kind of a signifier. of, And then if you see someone else has, it's like, oh, uh, yeah, I know who that is. But like you said, too, if even if you don't know who it is, you get who it is from looking at it. Yeah, I do remember when that album came out, I was working in the corporate office and the guy next to me in a cubicle was like, have you heard of this this mad villain? And I was like, you heard a mad villain. It was like it blew my mind that that suddenly that this was like, oh, people are going to know who this is now. Because I mean, I've been listening to Doom since maybe about a year after Operation Doomsday came out. So like I was no, not on the ground floor, but I was, you know, I was like, I was already on board. Like I was excited. I mean, for this album well before it came out. Yeah. And to see it change like that and have other people finally know who he was, was, you know, great. It's, you know. Yeah. And going back to your question about why am I the one to write this book? I feel like when I talk to people about the book, I have to explain that, you know, people who knew me, I'm 31 right now. So when I came out, the album came out, I was um, 13 or 14, which is like prime right. you know, music discovery age. But it, and I like, I like Mad Lib. I liked like LP and Mr. Lif and like that kind of yeah. you know, more underground hip hop or whatever you want to call it. Backpack rap, people would say at the time. Yep. But Mr. Lif's uh, a local legend where I'm from. He's oh nice. He's yeah. a Boston MC. We hold him in quite high regard out here. Me too. He was one yeah. of my favorite artists back that time. Yeah. And you know, still. But anyways, what I was gonna say is uh like MF Doom, I have to admit, I didn't fully catch he wasn't an immediate person that I latched onto of understanding everything he was doing and really appreciating it. And it really took me years of like me almost judging some of my friends who had the Matt yep. Billing the album and we're like this is the greatest album of all time and I'm like it was I think it was like, just prove it <laughs> yeah like I didn't dislike it but I didn't fully understand like the I guess avant-garde if you want yeah. to call it that kind of it was a little bit of like the joke in the Simpsons where they're like you have to listen to the notes he's not playing and yeah. <laughs> and it's like you know that's not always something to get the first pass I mean I know I didn't I didn't you know when I first heard Danger Doom I was instantly in love with Mad Villainy it did it did take me a little more time to you know, yeah, there's a barrier to entry. And I actually think now that I'm saying this, I think now pe- like younger people who are 
discovering doom or mad villainy and appreciating it they can appreciate it more easily because of the influence yes. that both doom and mad lib especially doom in this case kind of had on people like i don't know odd future or even like tom york like mainstream artists yeah over time i had that with fugazi i was a big fugazi fan when i was younger but it always felt like really heavy music and then when i went back to listen to it as an adult it felt i was like oh there's a lot of really deep bass grooves on this and it's just because the because heavy music has begun such a big part of music over the past 30 years it kind of yeah. by comparison made it like more melodic and i it got to fall in love with it for a whole different reason yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. So, so you, so you did discover the album around the time it came up. It was about thirteen years old. Do you remember having like the tape? Or, I mean, I guess I'm showing my age, but like the the CD or anything back then. I remember my friends having CDs, and that's what I'm saying. Like over the years, I remember my friends having CDs. I remember having MP3s, and then I remember other friends having vinyl. And then I started getting more into vinyl as I was older. This is probably like, you know. 18 19 20 around then and um it was even like a couple of years after that when i really started uh i guess appreciating the album i don't think i actually had a copy until maybe five or six years ago i mean it, it's um it's so do you remember do you like what are your what are your standout songs for like what are the moments that really jump off of you for me meat grinder is just i could listen to that song over and over again and i like the point you made in the book about how it's one of those albums that you do get something new out of it every time and it's usually not just something small it's usually something big it's it's that's what i really appreciate it but what so what are your highlights from it uh, i feel like it's a standard answer but accordion is like Somehow it's yeah. it shouldn't be the most accessible song on the album just because of the way it sounds. I don't know, like it shouldn't be, but it it's just so good that that's one that always brings me back. Meat Grinder too, but even Meat Grinder, I feel like is a great example of a song that's just, that, like you said, like so complex that you have to, you have to really, you could listen to it forever and it's yeah. always going to be just bl mind blowing. Uh, I always bring up, especially talking about the book, I always bring, bring up Bistro kind of for what oh. I was talking about and that, you know, it's not like a song you're going to put on and just enjoy on its own, but listening to it in the context of the album, it's just such a genius song and it's hilarious. And like, that was kind of a key to me of like hearing it the first time. I'm like, okay, who are all these people? He's just shouting out on this random right. kind of throwaway track. And then when you really like understand, you know, the complexity of the world building that he and Madlib both have done, and then just like the subtle humor of kind of it being a lounge track and like the stuff he's saying, I feel like that song is, especially after writing the book and the book kind of talking a lot about the mythology and folklore of the album and people sharing its stories, I feel like that one has... <laughs> We oddly enough, that has become one of my favorite standout tracks. So one thing too that that I remember from the book that this is a little bit of folklore that I've heard said a few times. It's mentioned in the book, and I was curious to get your overall thoughts on it. Is it's referenced that in the beginning of Accordion, his first couple lines are, you know, it's living on borrowed time. The clock ticks faster, and there's people now who kind of will say, well, he knew that his time, he knew that he wasn't well, but this was like 2004 or 2003. 
and you were still, you know, I'm not here to pump you for information or anything, but we're still living in a world where whatever MF Doom's cause of death is, is not released. I don't know who knows it and who doesn't, you know, obviously the speculation, but do you believe that that is, that this, that that is that, that he is trying to communicate some sort of illness? Or do you believe that's something that just in hindsight is just ironic and fits a narrative, fits the lore? I think, honestly, I think it could go either way. I think that it could very easily have just been a line because everyone is living off borrowed time and the clock's ticking faster for everyone. So uh, it would make sense that just, you know, he would say that even if he wasn't sick at the time. Uh, it is in the book, a quote from Eric Coleman, who shot the photo that's used on the album cover. And he, sa he said that to me. I didn't really follow up on it just because, like, a lot of these people I was talking to, you know, Doom was actually their friend or right. a close collaborator and stuff like that. And obviously, like, Doom as an artist wanted to protect anyone from finding out anything about his personal life. So I am, like, as much as the natural human inclination is to be, like, what what did he die from was he really right. sick in 2004 uh and as much as i would want to know i didn't really ask anyone like i don't have any information that that you don't have yeah it is interesting i mean i've either. i found something similar where um i'm i did a song with esoteric and cool keith a couple of years ago that's going to come out on my album next year and i wouldn't say i'm friends with esoteric but i would say we're friendly you know he's from zarface he's familiar with him another local mm -hmm. legend around here and you, you find very few people have a bad word to say about him because he's nice to everybody. So I like I interview him for the book, but it it never worked out timing wise. Oh, it's too bad. He's a great interview. He's one of the nicest guys to talk to in the world. And so, you know, I, there'll be a few times to go back and forth with him some emails. And, you know, after I had, you know, brought him on the album, I was like, look, I don't expect you to put me in touch with doom, but is there some manager somewhere that you could give me an email address of that I could try? Cause I'm like, I don't know what doom charges. I could probably, you know, it's, it's, who knows? This is probably like 2018. They'd already been working together on the albums. And, and it was, I think the only time he never responded to one of my questions. Uh, <laughs> like every yeah. other time he's, he's, he's like, yeah, you know, this is, yeah, I can help you with this. Like, you know, but like, I was like, yeah, that's, that's it. I'm not going to get that answer. And yeah. Yeah. That's don't blame bad. him either. You know, yeah. <laughs> I think he might have actually been there the first night of um, where we're Doom, the, the night in New York where um, Doom first oh, came yeah. out before. I believe it. Yeah. yeah. I think he might have been performing that night in a Fantastic Four t-shirt, if I remember correctly. Nice. But I don't know. That's great. So the you mentioned the interviews. And so there's a name that's in this book a lot, Moleza um, Shabazz. And, you know, I've, I've seen I've watched num numerous documentaries on uh, Mad Villainy, you know, whatever's out there, the Stones Throw ones. I watched a couple even before here just to get my mind head in it and her name not mentioned at all. Now, obviously, based on what happens, what what you talk about in the book, she had a lot to do with, with um, Mad Villainy, and she you know, is a very integral part whose story hasn't been told. And I, it seemed like this was, an, was her opportunity to kind of get some of that out there. So, you know, am I right in that, in phrasing it that way? And what was it like meeting Malaysia? And uh, what was that experience like? Yeah, so, I mean, with that, it was like, obviously, for the book, I was just doing research, just you know, nothing crazy, just Googling whatever, mad villainy. And there are a few articles, some that she's written, and also another uh, Boston guy, Dart Adams, had written an article about her or mentioned that included her kind of in the narrative. 
but again, yeah, like as I was writing about sort of the folklore of the album and like from fans debating what does this line on accordion mean to, you know, the official, not official, like articles from Stone's Throw or whatever that we kind of over time have, like, you know, the more a story keeps getting told over and over, the more you kind of accept like, okay, this was, sure. this was the fact. And like, it kind of, it becomes, I guess, a mythology. It's always subject to change, but it's right. kind of, it's not written in stone, but it almost is. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I just reached out to her cause I was like, it seems like she was involved in the, the creation somehow. So I'll talk to her. Um, I talked to her twice pretty for pretty long interviews on the phone and she kind of just gave me her whole backstory of how she came to know both Madlib and Doom. And she claims that, well, she was a journalist um, who interviewed Madlib. The article's still floating around online and Mass Appeal. You can find like a screenshot yep. of it. Uh, and she interviewed Madlib in LA. And uh, she says that after the interview, she, uh, or no, it's actually included in the interview a couple other names of people that Madlib wanted to work with. I can't think of who it was off the top of I my head. I think it. I they were they were interesting names. Yeah, cool. I want to say maybe Wasn't Cool G cool. Rap. I think yeah, Cool G Rap. Yeah, That's he right. was one of them, and I forget what the other one was. But you know, songs I would love to hear. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So um, then, according to her, she introduced or she brought up the idea to doom and then she was kind of doom's manager and like you said you reach out to is there some manager from yeah. what i understand doom had a lot of people who would help him with his business dealings and things like that and she was one of them she is very strongly opinionated you can read in the book yeah that it comes through that she was the manager and that she you know is very responsible for mad villainy which i think i and it's kind of like the point of the book. I don't want to be too, I acknowledge my bias is towards her in the book, mm -hmm. but I will also say on the podcast, like everyone who I talked to kind of disputed other people's version of the events, which again is kind of the point of the book is that there are right. so many different versions from people who were there. And there were only a small number of people there too, because I, I yeah. saw some with like Stone's Throw maybe had 10 people working for it. So you do right. have, there's not a whole lot of people who can interject, oh, it's a little more like this, a little more That's like true. that. It's not like it was you a know? major label thing, like it was a small operation. But um, basically, uh, now I lost my train of thought. Oh, sorry. No, no it's, not your fault. it's my <laughs> own fault. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, saying, so good. yeah, I'll go for it. I was going to say the book is kind of celebrating that are not celebrating, but showing how there are differences of facts and opinions and that the only two people, that's what I was going to say, the only two people who really know anything or who could have possibly made the album obviously are Madlib and Doom, right. neither of whom I talked to for the book. Right. So anything, and that's kind of the Dr. Truthiverse character comes in. Like it's a little, I guess, maybe protection of, I'm not, I don't really consider myself a journalist. So it's like, I guess a protection of, against myself of like, I'm not telling like a hundred percent fact checked, accurate story. I'm kind of letting right. people speak for themselves. You were but, sort of admittingly doing what every other doom thing is doing anyway. Yeah. Cause there, there's always that little bit of like, 
the story is never quite exactly the same. And, you know, the, it's like always like a whisper of something you heard around a corner. And like, I think it really fits in the canon well that way. I, I really, I really enjoyed that because it wasn't just, I read a lot of music memoirs. I'm reading right now this really great new one about Biggie. And um, this was, and I, I was read the Mariah Carey one. I read the, the Wu-Tang books. This one, having that little bit of twist to it, really, it kept me invested in a way that I really enjoy. I think people, people are going to like that. Yeah, I appreciate that because it. I guess like any other music biography, probably isn't a hundred percent accurate, even if it claims to be. And a little bit of the author's bias creeps in, no matter what. So I figured I might as well acknowledge it. Yeah. Um. So was this book in motion prior to Doom's passing? Uh, no, it wasn't. So there was That's never any. There was never any even. And that would have. That's a tough get anyway. But there was never any real. That was never realistic to get. And Mad Lib, I think I just watched a few minutes of a Mad Lib interview. And all respect to Mad Lib, he looks like a really tough man to interview. It was the Red Bull one, and he was just he wasn't giving up the answers. And it's just you know I, I'm I'm not surprised he would. I'm I don't know. I'm assuming you reached out, but I'm not surprised he wouldn't. He declined it or something like this. Yeah, and then since he I did reach out and never got in touch with him directly but heard from other people he wasn't interested and i kind of over time realized like the book is since the point of the book is talking about celebrating the mystery of mad lib of doom then it's almost better if i don't talk to him because yeah. like i mean that's one of my favorite things about him is he's like i just want to do music like just every day all day for his entire life he's just pumping out beats making music and he doesn't want to talk about he doesn't want to talk about you know was egon or peanut butter wolf or Wallasia right. more involved in the album which is what's you know some of those people want to talk about everyone wanted to talk about the music to a certain degree but i think mad lib he doesn't even want to talk about the music because to him that was almost 20 years ago and he doesn't even you mentioned in the book he, he yeah. claims to only released 30 percent of the stuff he's, he's made which <laughs> is wild like yeah. is he having a contest with prince about how much he could possibly <laughs> leave behind in a vault like i Maybe. mean and dre's probably up there too but that's pretty remarkable and to yeah. some degree too if you believe you know the, the narrative really is, is if he's in the bomb shelter and dooms you know smoking weed in the roof the other people are in the room talking about it, it it's basically left to be you know i'm presumably egon peanut butter wolf you yeah. know Wallasia, whoever other people would have been there and you know and that's the mythology of Madlib too, as like Madlib's not as much of a fictional character. Uh, I mean, I guess Quasimodo is right, but he's he's backed away from that as time has gone on. Like he's 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 taken maybe a little step more into the working. You know, I mean, we haven't seen Quasimodo in a while, unfortunately. Right, but I guess just the artist Madlib is like a mysterious artist who we think of. We like, or I'm speaking for myself again, saying we, but we like him because he's, you know, a person who's always in the bomb shelter pumping out beats yeah. and like i don't really want to know if if that's not true i guess if that makes yeah. sense he said on an interview on an older interview yeah i think it is too I, I was just watching his older interview that i think was from dutch television and he he said that he's like you know i've seen i don't want to be like jay-z i've seen what a guy like his life is like and i just don't want that life and yeah. it's you know the idea that you're you're mad live and you can fly to brazil and you can stay someplace nice and you can chill and go record shopping. And like, I mean, that, that sounds like kind of like probably better than what Jay-Z does. on It's like Jay-Z probably true. wakes up with a lot more stress than Madlib does, you know, obviously a lot more yeah. money, but you know, it's more sustainable too. Cause he can just keep doing it forever. Yeah. Yeah. So that was, I pretty much, I'm 
actually interviewed, I think, everyone uh, by phone or Zoom. Uh, you know, a lot of it was just trying to track people down any way I could. And there's another thing I was going to say about Wallasia is like, you know, even though some people will dispute her story and she is very, you know, passionate about trying to get across like her version of the events, like she definitely connected me with certain other people like Dante Ross, Havana Joe, who did some marketing around the album. And um, uh, yeah, so, but she doesn't have great things to say about Egon or Peanut Butter Wolf in the book. So yeah, it's pretty explicit. Kind of separate. It's... And then like Egon, basically I included it in the book, but he told me the only reason he agreed to do the interview was so he could talk about how he was more involved in mad villainy than oh yes and presented in the media about peanut butter wolf his involvement peanut butter wolf i only interviewed uh via email so um but i did give him a chance to kind of respond to egon's statement about right. his relative involvement so yeah i mean they 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 certainly don't seem to be on the same page these days no, um, it's too bad to like and also, you know, the politics of it, it's kind of come out in this niche world in the news a little bit with, you know, who deserves credit and what's happening at Stone's Throw and should artists have been paid right. and stuff like that. But it's like, to everyone's credit, like, everyone loves the album and everyone was involved. Everyone who's featured in the book was involved in some way, whether or not they're overstating their own importance or undercutting other people who were more involved or whatever um they were all involved in some way that helped it eventually get out into the world and like i said before like madlib and doom are really the only two who can i think you know take credit for mad villainy because they are their mad villain and um like no one had anything bad to say about either of them and right in fact quite the opposite so Right, right. And it's and it's like, you know, no no shade on Doom, but he definitely there's some situation in his career where, you know, he didn't come out always looking the best. No. Um, you know, it's uh, and even too, like, so there's been more there's been dispute recently about Egon and um I'm not sure if you saw this about Doom's missing rhyme books. Yeah, yeah. You know, I saw um, um that it looks like there's some allegedly there are some rhyme books of Dooms that are in possession of people at Stone's Throw. I don't know what it, what it was, and there was pressure on trying to get those returned to the family. Um, I think I think it actually came from his wife that that mentioned this, so it's not like it's an unreliable source or anything from Doom's wife. Yeah, I honestly. So that's another thing is like I'm kind of hypocritical because I hear something like that and I'm like, obviously if he really does have these rhyme books, why wouldn't he just give them back? Something weird is going on with that. Like just give them right. back. And I totally understand people pressuring him to do that. And his wife are asking for that to happen. It's not and, like they're masters. There, there's something yeah. that it's like, you can't resell that. Like, cause yeah. obviously once you do you, it's like, it's like almost like having a stolen painting to yeah. some degree. Yeah. I was going to say I'm hypocritical cause I kind of see stories like that. And I'm like, it's just, political drama or political is not the right word but like i guess like interpersonal politics if you know what i mean but like right it's like drama that's not that has nothing to do with how good of an album well not this is beyond just mad villainy but like thinking about the book but then i was kind of thinking about that when writing the book too of like i don't i'm kind of hearing about all this drama that i've 
heard rumblings and rumors about, but I didn't really know the extent of how much relationships were strained almost directly because of bad villainy and like how much people now, when they were talking to me, wanted to unload a lot of that, wanted their feelings about their own involvement or the, how they perceive others involvement in the album. So I was like, I don't want this to be the focus of the book, but when I'm interviewing people, that's kind of what a lot of people want to talk about. So I felt right. like I needed to just put it in the book. Well, for a story that's been told a lot, it's a part of the story that hasn't really been told. So, you know, yeah. to get a fresh angle on it is certainly something that, you know, fans of of Mad Villain are, are going to want to hear and be interested in. And it, it does present some really good points, you know. And yeah, I'll say too, again, like I'm not a journalist, so I don't think I'm cut out for being a journalist because these are all real people and I, I don't really want to like hurt anyone's feelings. And I thought Understood. I kind of... Yeah wrote the book in a way where people could speak for themselves and if i did uh say anything that kind of gave away my own opinion i would kind of acknowledge that i'm biased for whatever reason but i yeah. don't know i think you did a good job of, of doing that balance in there because nobody wants to see a book on mf doom to be like a like a mudslinging contest between yeah exactly you know the people involved and it's just it's not and it's obviously not, you know, it's only a bit of it of reality, but it is kind of crazy how this album that came together in such a short period of time is it just can, can change people's lives so much because it, you know, relationships were ended and, um, you know, you know, there was a leak that that's funny that came at that weird time in history where an album leak, yeah. you know, they're, they're almost like, well, this is the end, you know, this thing's never going to come out. And I, I do remember being a little surprised when it did actually come out, but you know, yeah. Um, a lot of people I talked to, too, kind of said, you know, this is a common story of, you know, Stone's Throw was friends living together in a house, Mad Lib always there. And, you know, Doom, it wasn't like a big major label contract for Doom to record with Mad Lib. And then it became so successful and so influential that I think any time that that happens it's you know it usually doesn't work out with everyone happily right walking off into the sunset or whatever yeah. so. like i wouldn't be shocked if the three people who made the blair witch project never talk to each other anymore yeah <laughs> like it's like when you have lightning in a bottle it's you can only hold it for so long and you know exactly um so the the talk of the the sequel to Mad Villainy, you know that that was sort of what I what I the the one thing about that stuff about the the rhyme books that really made me think is that does this put us even further away from ever hearing Mad Villainy too? So I I did a little research on this the other day. I think around January, maybe even the month after Doom, had, you know, they announced his passing. So would have been in January two thousand twenty one. I think there are some articles saying that Mad Villainy two was about eighty five percent of the way done, and there was there was going to be an effort by Stone's Throw to release it. And that's, I don't think there's been much more recent talk on that. You know, when I see things like, um, you know, Doom's Widow making those comments towards, you know, Stone Throw, it makes me think that we're even further away from that ever happening. Any feelings on on Mad Villainy 2? Um, I mean, not the remix album, but like a real, you know, Mad Villainy 2. Actually, if you look it up now, it has been in the news lately because I oh. think Mad, uh, Mad Lib, he was on Sway. And I think he did, he's doing a couple other interviews for his new album. And he mentioned like that the Mac Lib, Mac Miller collaboration oh, is wait for that. Yeah, is going to happen. And then he's also apparently said Mad Villainy 2 
is going to happen. But it's another thing with Madlib. It's like he says stuff like that over the years historically, and then it doesn't mean that it's necessarily going to happen. But yeah, I don't know. I've always been someone who's like, I kind of don't want to hear Mad Villainy 2 because the thing I keep talking about with the legend of the album and the artist is like, it's almost a legend in and of itself that it's like, there is the, you know, it's like, whatever. Um, uh, it destined to be a letdown or, uh, you know, I, I don't want it to be like yeah. Anchorman too, you know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like, no, sequel's never as good as a classic. What's interesting though is, you know, I maybe I'm just talking myself into this because I, I do want to hear it, is that with his passing now, it sort of feels like, um, like I don't know, if you're reading a Marvel comic and Gwen Stacy's been dead for 10 years and all of a sudden she pops up in a story. Yeah. And I feel like That's that true. now you look at it like a lost relic, maybe just the 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 the, the feeling of him speaking from beyond the grave will add something, you know, to it. I, I mean think that's it I think it will. Like I think the context has definitely changed. Like even uh that song that came out, Belize his feature on Belize or something, yeah. or like any feature that comes out where it's you know, someone has died and it or any song that comes out posthumously or however you pronounce that. Yeah. It's always kind of a different feeling. And I think you're spot on with that comparison. Of like I want, I wonder how happen. much doom there is that we haven't heard as well. And I, I think esoteric acknowledged at some point, there's probably another album worth of material that he probably has, but wouldn't put, you know, would it probably will see the light of day, but you mentioned, you know, obviously going to work with the family. Do yeah. It right. Yeah. Um, you know, for somebody who, you know, a lot of these big albums he did came out in a really short period of time. They came out in bursts and then it was like, we yeah. got nothing forever. So yeah. one would have, and then, I mean, the, one of the reasons why I even felt like reaching out to see if I can get Doom in a song with myself is that I'd see him working with artists that I'd never heard of before. And I looked them yeah. up and I'm like, I, you know, there's not, they, have a, they don't have a huge following or anything. I'm like, I don't know how he's making choices, but hopefully yeah. there's a lot of Doom to be heard left. I'm sure there is. The other thing I heard about Mad Villainy 2 is that um, it's in some of these recent articles is that some of the beats that were originally or that Doom originally rapped on have been used by other artists, which I know too. Like, uh, yeah. I'm wearing the Matt Gibbs um, yeah. sweatshirt that my brother gave me because I don't like, he thinks I don't like bandana enough. <laughs> uh, but I do like the sweatshirt. And uh, I'm not as on board of those albums. Like I need to give them another shot, but the Freddie Gibbs Mad Lift stuff hasn't hit me the way it's hit other people. And I keep telling myself yeah. I got to go back and give it another shot. But I yeah. love both those artists separately. And I yeah. think together they're not as, it. I don't think they're as good as a lot of people think either. Yeah. Um, but I still, I like Pinata a lot, but I don't think it's maybe as good as some people think it is. Yeah. There is a worry to me that um, I'm a huge Wu-Tang fan. But yeah. you listen to new Wu Tang music and RZA, it's like RZA's never heard a Wu Tang song, you know. Right. <laughs> which, you know, all respect to RZA. I'm not realizing I'm saying that live on the internet. So yeah. I mean, that, it's <laughs> metaphorically speaking, of course. Yeah. But um, the I I I wouldn't want to keep. I, I would hope a Mad Villainy too wouldn't sound like, oh man, I've redone everything. I I would hope it That's has some I'm of that same about. dusty feel. It's yeah. almost like even if it if some of the songs did end up on the Freddie Gibbs albums or any other projects. It's almost like, I just want to hear yeah. how they I'd were rather have made. it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, but, I hope that's what it is. And the thing is, it's going to be, yeah, yeah it's what will be so tough is, I mean, the album, everything you, you have to replicate a cover too, that, that gives you the same message. You can't, you can't just throw yeah. this out there looking like garbage. This has to, 
you know, this can't be what Victor Vaughn two, you know, where that sits in the canon yeah. compared to Victor Vaughn one, you know, or even like the remix album, like you mentioned. Yeah, which is okay. I mean, it's, yeah. I mean, it's better than okay, but it's not. I I can't remember the last time I put it on. I when I do put it on, I'm like, I just want to put on Mad Melanie. You know, right? It doesn't. It, I think even Mad Lib said that this was it was he meant to do it only for his own listening. I don't think they ever really planned on releasing it. Yeah, but, exactly. That yeah. like a lot of Mad Lib stuff. The other yeah. thing I was gonna say really quick on, uh, um, hardcore hustle and rhinestone cowboy. This is in the book, but there's a version of Hardcore Hustle with one of Doom's verses from Rhinestone Cowboy yes. on the beat. So, and then like just from what some other people have told me about kind of their process during the making of the album was like, you know, Madlib would make a beat or, you know, CDs of beats. Doom would just rap over the whole beat, send it back, and then Madlib would kind of edit it and rearrange it and stuff. So, I wouldn't be surprised if like, you know, taking a doom verse and putting it over a different beat was a part of the original mad villainy process. So if that's yeah. the case, then why not do it for mad villainy too as well? Yeah. It's a good point. Yeah. Yeah. And to your point about stuff that gets announced, it doesn't happen. That same interview I was watching with mad living. He was very, he was very young and in the Dutch interview, he's rattling off all the stuff he's working on. He's like working on mad villain two, J lib two. Yeah. And then 30 things. And I'm like, never got mad villain two, never yeah. got J lib <laughs> two. Like, and the, half the other stuff you mentioned never happened to you. Or, you know, they may exist. It's just, we That's have never thing is He probably was working on it, but yeah. whether it, for whatever business reasons comes out or not, it's probably on a hard drive somewhere, you know? Yep. Or I mean, probably, I'm surprised. Probably on a tape or a CD. Yeah, yeah. Every yeah. time um, I, I I end up Googling Jay Dilla and I realize just how long he's been gone, it doesn't feel like, like, like hip hop's done a good job of keeping Jay Dilla's legacy alive. And um, but he's been gone is, a long yeah. time. Yeah, like his influence, even after he passed, has just only gotten bigger. Yeah, yeah. I mean, these were not. I mean, I was very into underground hip hop at the time. I was performing around Boston and stuff, and these were not huge records when right. they were alive. I mean, we'd go out. I remember like going up to Newberry Comics and hoping, you know, they might have two or three copies. So like, you'd have to get there early to make sure you got a copy of it. And, yeah, you know, it's uh, the good old days. I mean, I I remember waiting in line outside of Tower Records to buy, you know, Eminem, uh, Marshall Mathers LP for like an hour yeah. at midnight the night before. <laughs> yeah, I always remember going to uh, Best Buy with my mom and my brother and he was waiting outside to get bc boys hello nasty i think i waited for that one <laughs> but too. it's like i feel like everyone has a a memory like that of or a people of a certain age have the memory of like waiting to get a particular cd or album or whatever it was that yeah you don't really have to do that anymore it's funny you mentioned the beastie boys because i was thinking a lot about check your head which is one of my favorite albums and i was reading the book and it, it occurred to me that it's sort of it fits. Uh, uh, there aren't a whole lot of hip hop albums that fit a template similar to what Mad Villainy is, but it's sort of in that same scope where it takes so many left turns. And yeah. there are times where it feels like you don't hear the Beastie Boys voices for a while, but there's other things happening. And it's, I don't know, they feel, they felt like they were sort of like, you know, brothers from a different era. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's true. So are you, um, so what are you working on now? Are you working on um, any other books or? Uh, I mean, so my background before writing this book, like I've kind of done some music writing 
uh, on and off, like more seriously at different periods for the past several years. So I still write pretty regularly for passionoftheweiss.com. Not sure if you're familiar with that site or if your listeners are, but it's a great blog that's been around for like over a decade now that covers hip hop and also any good music. Um, and I occasionally will write for like some other sites and things like that, but I haven't been doing that lately. Cause I've, you know, just have like a regular separate job or job separate from writing as much as, but like, basically I guess like I'm one of those people who always wanted to be a writer. So that's kind of like what I focus on. If we're talking about mm -hmm. the theme of the podcast of so like, mm -hmm. I just like writing. So I'm always writing, but I'm not necessarily working on anything cool right now. <laughs> so where did you, yeah. where did your writing career kind of start? Like, I mean, did you, what, how far back does it go? Uh, it goes back to, I guess, kind of that, like that blog I'm talking about, Passion of the Weiss. I was kind of a fan of it even in high school. And then I went to college in California and started writing for uh, like a school newspaper and then also this company that was a startup uh called earbits they saw an article i wrote and they kind of let me write their blog and i could just write about anything i wanted which is awesome cool. and then i started writing for passion of the weiss and then from passion of the weiss i started writing for other outlets like embarrassing writing if i look back on it now oh god yeah i used to write reviews for undergroundhiphop.com i did actually oh, nice. a few of some doom songs a bunch of them. yeah, yeah. The, i was remember so happy when they let me do melody which is one of my favorite doom songs the the dj newmark remix of melody with doom on it which is kind of yeah. tough to find but i got to write the review for that and i was like so pumped. i'll gotta check that out is it yeah, still up it's you can probably uh, the review i don't know if that's still up because this was probably yeah. 2005 and i don't even think that they're in business anymore um gotcha. but the um the song is definitely out there it's it's yeah, awesome yeah. Right. yeah so basically long story short with writing i'm like i'm not as interested as i was when i was younger of doing you know because i don't even i listen to new music but not the same way i used to so i'm not as interested in writing about like oh this is the new artist or my instant reaction to like a new album or something even though if i feel compelled i'll i'll write it and uh but I guess I'm trying to figure out like how to write more about not necessarily history, but I guess like kind of bigger ideas about music. Cause I mean, I love just talking to people about music and thinking about music. And I feel like sometimes if I read like a, an interesting article, it opens up my mind to thinking about music and then also like life in a different way. So that's kind of what I'm trying to go for next if that mm -hmm. makes any sense at all. No, that, that definitely does. I mean, it's, it's, um, you know, it's, we talk about a lot on this podcast, the path of discovery and it's just it being about a passion and being about just exploring and finding out more information about yourself and the things that you love, which is, you yep. know, what we do it all for. Yep. Exactly. Um, so what, what, what are you excited about? I mean, besides doom, are, are there any, um, are there any artists that you are really excited about now? Like, current artists who are releasing stuff yeah like are there people who like i guess who are some artists that you've written passionately about in the past i guess um 
I don't even know. Like I have such, my brain can only think back a couple of weeks when I wrote yeah. an article about Slow Tie, his new album, which I, he's another one who, I don't know if you're a fan of him. Are you a fan of Slow Tie at all? I, the name I sounds familiar, but I, I probably heard you it. Should check it know. out. I think you'd probably find it interesting. Um, he's from England and his first two albums were more kind of like grime, rap, hip hop. And then this album's more kind of like post-punk. It's called Ugly. It just came out this year. Oh, that's and a cool mix. Yeah. And uh, he's another one who I didn't really like. He gets a lot of critical kind of praise. And I didn't really understand it until like this third album that really appealed to me right away. The new Danny Brown and JPEG Mafia album. I saw people on the day it came out calling it uh, 2023 Mad Villainy. Really? I definitely heard a lot of praise. I didn't hear that. I had to go back I don't and know. check that out. Have you listened out. to that album? I haven't. It was one that I definitely, mean, there's so much new stuff comes out. It was one that I yeah, kind of yeah. like pegged to listen to and then I never went back to, but I now I'll go check it out. Yeah, you should listen to that because it's like, it's, I think it's true because it's, or it's a, it's one of the few albums I would compare, like, or I would act accurate, or would say that calling it's, it yeah. Mad Villainy 2 or whatever is like accurate because, you know, it's too underground kind of mainstream i guess but you know hip-hop legends making like yeah. a really stylistically weird kind of avant-garde album yeah i love detroit hip-hop like danny brown yeah. and he you know he doesn't sound like a lot of detroit hip-hop but it, it's good to have him in the mix like I, his music is he doesn't it was much like doom didn't get hasn't didn't get the appreciation in his in his day that really he deserved I mean, obviously he's still doing stuff but you know yeah and speaking of Detroit, Z Loopers, I think he's from Detroit. I might be wrong about that. Don't fact check me. Right. I don't claim to be a journalist, but yeah. now his he has a new album that's really, really good. And I guess speaking of artists who I've written about in the past, I feel like Earl Sweatshirt is one of my probably favorite artists of all time. And I feel like, you know, that might be partially because of my age. He's kind of like around my same age. So I kind of I don't know if you would think of him as like a younger no, generation. I actually, kind of... I interviewed somebody on Tyler um, that's coming up on an upcoming episode. And so I did a deep dive in Odd Future and yeah, Earl Sweatshirt's amazing. Yeah, yeah. So I've written some stuff on him and like, and just, I listen to him all the time. So I, I think he's kind of one of the artists who obviously love Doom oh, God, and Mad yeah. Lib and like carries on the tradition in a in a cool way. Right. And like, I know there's some criticism that people are like, well, everybody wants to wear a mask now and everybody, you know, which I think you see a little of that. I don't think you see too much of it, but um, he, they keep the spirit alive in the way that it should be kept alive. It's not like exactly, they're trying to rip yeah. them off or anything. They're just the, the footage of, I think, is it him and Tyler? It's Tyler and another odd future guy when they meet doom. Yeah. Backstage. I put that in the book actually like oh, a line man. about that. Yeah. It, it brings joy to your heart just to see it because they're they're obviously so appreciative and he's obviously in a great mood and you know yeah and they and like another kind of weird thing about mad villainy is even though doom isn't an la artist and obviously mad lips from oxnard but the album was kind of conceived and in a lot of ways is like an la album and then obviously odd future was an la group of like a specific time period that captured like a specific sort of energy and i feel like um i don't know maybe i'm connecting line or lines that shouldn't no. be connected but and i, I feel it, like there's something there 
Yeah, it made me think too that I was in LA a lot around that period, around 2000, 2004. I had to go to shows like the El Rey Theater. I got to go to DJ mm-hmm. Kubert introducing his QFO and stuff. And it, it does, it, it it reminds me that like, you know, I never like saw Doom or any of those people, but like um, there's, it does have that energy that brings me back to that. And it's like, yeah. Doom is really not an LA artist. And no, you know, not at all. like his, yeah, he sounds so New York. And then obviously like Georgia and stuff too. So yeah, yeah, he could. He sounds like somebody who just wandered out of the woods and just wound up on your front lawn or something. He's yeah. just, <laughs> you know, it's I don't know. And it's like with Doom, I always compare Doom to like um, I'm not really a drinker, but like if you want to get like the really really high end scotch, it's like oh, the scotch is five hundred dollars a bottle. Well, if you haven't had the four hundred bottle and the three hundred dollar and the two hundred dollar on the way down, you don't really have the appreciation for it. It's like it is right. like one of those things you need to build up your taste a little bit to really understand why why Doom is is so special and why Madlib is so special. Yeah, and that's so. a great analogy. I think you did a great job presenting it in this book too. It's um, this is an album that is going, and I, I wouldn't be surprised if the, I have a few of these books on my shelf. I think I have the one for OK Computer and maybe the one for DJ Shadows introducing. But you see these books a lot, and I, I feeling this is going to be one a lot of people are going to want. I mean, obviously we said it's selling out already now, but um, yeah, I appreciate that. There's one on donuts too that I, I read that. bought and I started reading, but I think people seem to like that one so that's another one that people should check out um how's have you heard much from the reaction since the book's been released a little bit like i was pretty nervous about putting it out just because i was like you know like i said i'm skeptical of anyone who's writing about doom and mad lib and i know like there are people who are way bigger fans than me and like because i wasn't an initial fan i'm aware that it's like people it's gatekeeping for lack of a better term is like has people have kind of been gatekeeper uh, gatekeepers oh yeah definitely (laughs) especially people screaming about all caps when you spell the man's name exactly yeah you know um i wish doom could just come back for one day and just say chill on that you know yeah (laughs) like and then you know (laughs) which i wrote this in the book too but you know everyone who actually knew him will spell his name just you know capital d maybe or just all lowercase doom like no one's spelling yeah. it in all caps if they actually knew him because they just called him that because that's of his last name yeah which is just funny because people think like oh you don't really know doom if you like you don't use all caps and all this stuff it's like it's crazy right, keyboard but, warrior. yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, doom it, it seems like there it's inevitable that at some point we may get the mf doom movie um i think jonah hill bought the life rights really doom, is he gonna play doom <laughs> that'd be hilarious um you know he's somebody who i think you know if we're talking about people in the in the culture now he could probably do a good job at it you know i I think so i think he would do probably something weird and unique with it if i had to guess but we'll see yeah i'm sure we will get the the movie though you're right yeah but there's always like there was supposed to be a cage movie for so long and that never was shia labeouf and that never happened yet i was i there's an information i don't think i ever had is that when subrock passed away he had been leaving cage's house and that yeah, was something I didn't I never realize. Knew that either. I'm not the first person to write that. So it, I think I read that somewhere else, but also people told me that in interviews. And I thought that was really interesting because I didn't know. I used to like Cage when I was younger too, but I didn't really know that he was connected with KMD like at that time. So, yeah, I didn't realize yeah. that either. And it's obviously there's so much lore to Cage and he's somebody who sort of disappeared over the years. I don't, you know. 
Yeah. But, um, I got to work with copyright on a few songs and I'm like, sometimes he'll, you know, we'll text a little bit about stuff and I'm like, kind of want to ask him about cage, but I don't want to open up that, uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, that can of worms. It's, you know, being the esoteric fans that we all were back in the day, that was a crazy beef between, you know, like, uh, 7L and esoteric and like all of death chucks. <laughs> yeah. I don't, I honestly don't know much about it, but now oh, I have something it's worth, to look up. It's worth yeah. Googling. Um, yeah. you know, I have my idea of who won, but, um, <laughs> it's interesting too. the mad villainy movie. It's, you almost, it's, it's gotta be somebody whose face isn't going to be seen the entire time, you know, yeah, it's true. Like Mandalorian esque. They shouldn't even credit the actor who plays him. That that would be cool. Yeah. yeah. There was one of the things that I really enjoyed that's mentioned in the book is how um with this that this is something I've been I've been kind of doing on a project I've been working on. And um I don't know how I felt about it when it's mentioned in the book. I'm like, did I get it from that? But like that there's so, that every version of doom is a different version of doom is that like you know every time there's a new album that comes out we're seeing a different image of him in a different style and it's just remind it's just it, it it keeps him it keeps him eternal you know yeah the craziest thing i heard doom say in an interview i think it's red bull music academy both doom and mad lib did them separately is he said that zev love and i think this might be in the book too but he said that Zev Love X of KMD was just another one of his characters who could reemerge at any time. Yeah, it could be another thing where he's just like saying that kind of as a joke or like, I mean, not really a joke, but like he could just be saying that retrospectively. Yeah, but I think he probably was kind of already starting to think of it like music as it's kind of like fiction, I guess. Yeah, is what the book talks about too, but like, you know, not really reality, but drawing from reality. And I don't know. I just thought that, that that was interesting. Like just the amount of thought that he put into every album and it wasn't always clear to the listener. I don't think of like, who is King Ghidorah? Like, right. What is this character? Exactly. Is it just doom producing or is it like, you know, I guess like the lore and mythology of it wasn't exactly laid out in like concrete terms, but I think doom probably had his own idea of what he wanted to, people to interpret it as and then obviously people interpreted it in their own ways and then it just kept growing and growing yeah i remember back in those days going to like nick for newberry comics and going to the sections and seeing king Ghidra over here and seeing the others over here and there was a time where i didn't always realize these were all doomed because they didn't yeah. they didn't push that and i think part of that might have been that he had so many different deals with different labels i don't know whether he had to use different names in different places or if it was like a you know a business thing or what but yeah you know. I think it was probably, or yeah, just who, who knows, but yeah. Yeah, I'm sure you could probably, the book will probably never get to be written, but the, his business dealings could be a book on it. Like the whole back and forth with him and Adult Swim and oh, what yeah. happened with that, that the Book of Rhyme stuff, from that that was There's a wild great story. stuff about that online. And yeah. obviously like that comes after Mad Villainy, so I didn't get into any of that in the book, but I definitely have read all that stuff. Um, yeah, and people... People definitely, like you said, like not everyone had great things to say about Doom, but I didn't really include anything negative about him in the book because I thought there's no point. And it's not like anything negative is just kind of that, you know, he he set up his business dealings in a way, I guess. Someone said, I think Dante Ross in the book says like he came from the Grand Poobah yes. School of Cash and Carry. And, yep. you know, like, uh wanted everything cash no no deals or anything but that fit the supervillain character and 
his actual origin story of being dumped by a major label. So can't yeah. really blame him. It, it is wild how that all tied back to, um, I, that was something else I didn't realize in the book. It all tied back to one of the most influential records in my life, which is cop killer by body count mm, where yeah. that, that had created when that album came out, my mind was blown. Um, yeah. And the, the, the idea that this was somehow tied to that same fear. It's, you know, really small world. Yeah. You know, and hip hop's always been a small world, but it's just, uh, it is nuts. It's changed the course of history. Yeah. So were you a fan of Mad Lib too around this time? I'm just curious now. Yeah, or, I, I think yeah. so. I mean, when I go through my old records, like I definitely had J Lib. Um, I, the, the Mad Lib album I listened to most was the one where he, he took the, he had the blue note jazz catalog and he flipped yeah, yeah. that. So that was the one I knew, but I was a really big fan of DJ shadow, um, visible scratch pickles, all of those dudes. Yeah. Cause that's another thing that comes up in talking about the book is, well, first of all, I was curious from your perspective because they are only like two years apart, but Madlib kind of took longer, I think, to catch on or yeah, get established and stuff. So, but like even for me, like I'm, it sounds almost like blasphemous to say, and kind of like whatever you said about the other, the RZA is like I probably shouldn't say this, but I was like more of a Madlib fan than a Doom fan, yeah, really. Um, and now I mean they're different, so you can't really compare them. Like obviously, Doom is a better rapper. And I think their production styles are too different to really compare, but I really like Mad Lib's production and always have. So I feel like probably because, you know, he passed away and his face is on the cover. I mean, I always thought of Mad Villainy more as a Doom album rather than a Mad Mad Lib album, right. even though I'm like a big Mad Lib fan. I don't know. It doesn't quite make sense, but I guess it does. Well, it kind of speaks to the dichotomy of those two because you have Mad Lib's a guy who just seems to love the music more than anything. And I'm sure Doom loves the music, but he's, uh, like you say, he's a Grand Poobah guy. He's like cash in hand. Yeah, you know? yeah. And it's, yeah. it is pretty wild to think that um, they he got paid like $1,500 to do. And I'm sure there's a couple other payments too. But yeah. like, and it's Stone Throw barely had it. And it's like, you know, I don't want to be Joe Moneybags, but it's like, if I need, you know, two grand to make a Doom album, album happen tonight, like, you know, we're going to get that money. It's just, yeah. in, you know, the it's amount crazy. they spent on it. I was like, was, is inflation just that bad? And this was just, you know, know. Like millions of dollars back in 2000. Because they're talking about but... flying people to Brazil and all this stuff. Yeah. I'm like, that's more than the budget for the whole album he's just talking about. Right, like, right. It's, it, and it does speak to... One of the things that this came up in a few other episodes is like what happened to underground hip hop, you know, in the years, you know, that came after that, where like mm -hmm. it really fell off the cliff. Like there was there was no way to make money anymore because vinyl hadn't come back strong yet. And it was all digital and everybody just said there was like no money and there was no there wasn't. And even like I said, Mad Villainy, Mad Villainy did not make a lot of people rich, you know, yeah, yeah. didn't make anybody rich. You know, that's originally what I pitched the book as and wanted to write the book more about it didn't actually end up coming out as much in the book is just how like 2004 it came out after it leaked online at a time when everyone's like what is what is the internet or whatever you know like yeah. why are people leaking albums from at least in the industry but then it only became more and more popular by people talking about it online and like doom fans kind of talking on message boards, stone store message boards, whatever. And like trying to, you know, be like early versions of like s internet sleuths or whatever, like 
Oh yeah, I'm sure I was on Mac Mac Lethal's yeah. um board back in the day, and I think there was a lot of talk about shit like that. <laughs> yeah. So I just think that like as a as a cultural artifact or whatever, it's like perfectly positioned where it's you know, like we were saying, having the vinyl, it's like a vinyl record. Underground hip hop is all about vinyl and it's like sampling from records that were bought on vinyl onto tape right. you know madlib would burn on beats onto tapes or cds and then after that it like became popular because of the internet so i don't really know what i'm saying but just something about how it's positioned in terms of like media of the past and the future and yeah it kind of bridges those gaps and is it does by both sides or influenced by the past but then it influenced the future right it's funny too when you talk about mad villainy being like you know the most the the greatest independent hip hop record of all time or something in that regard. I don't even know what is two, three, four, and five. Like I start yeah. thinking about what else is in that, and I go and we talk about the the album and the cover art all calling together. I think some people would say Fun Crusher Plus by yeah. uh, Company Flow. That would be a common one to say. Um, maybe Labor Days by Aesop Rock, but that just might be showing my bias. Um, Omega by Mr. Lift. Yep, that's another one. That's, <laughs> I don't think yeah. that was really. Maybe in where you're from, but right, right. I think yeah. the the, For the me e personally, <laughs> yeah. The 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 Mr. Lith album, though, always the biggest here I found was Alive at the Middle East because the Middle East was, an, was such a venue here that we all love. The first time we got yeah. everybody got to perform there was like crazy. And then the 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 EP where everything was emergency rations where he really lets loose on the government. That was I remember people loving that mm -hmm. shit back in the day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. It's like the song I was. I feel like I know every word. Going back to Momega though, the fries, where it's like the government has a scan line inside your tan line and like microchips in your hands and stuff. Yeah. It's like such a specific style of a certain time period. But when I was like 13, 14, I was like, this isn't amazing, you know? I was at I'm a show. Yeah. I was at a show in LA um when the perceptionists were together, acrobatic and um we didn't i did an art an interview in this podcast about with 3sk so check that out if you like acrobatic and mr lift were there and mers was headlining and i was just there by myself and i was at the bar just like you know boozing and i hear this voice behind me like this big i can look him up he's a big tall like a black dude looks kind of familiar and he's macking on these two white chicks really hard and i'm like who the hell is this guy and i'm just like and i'm like he sounds familiar whatever and later on at night i see humpty hump come out on stage with mers and i'm like that was humpty uh, that's, and I, that's amazing and i remember i'm um, kind of chatting up with the perceptionist like mr lift and them after acrobatic being like you got a patriots out i'm like yeah we're from like 20 you know minutes away it's just that we're all the way in la now but like that was one of my, my best nights in hip-hop is that show because yeah, like, for me digital underground was an yeah. enormous influence on me and just acrobatic and mr lift were two of the nicest people whenever you get a chance to talk to them i think i saw them in a best buy together once too nice that's yeah. great small world out here so the other but, thing really quick i was gonna say is like uh i didn't know much about freestyle fellowship oh yeah like that's like especially in la it's like that's another like underground scene that i didn't really know about until like even the past few years but from going back and just listening to all those people involved with that and like project bloat and that whole history it's yeah. uh in terms of underground hip-hop like also super influential 
very especially in LA because you know they're you know they're they're known I think more for their live performances than any than the stuff they put on the record. So it, mm-hmm. in there obviously that's where hip hop started. Yeah. yeah, it's hard. And the, the energy in the room is um, probably you know better than it's ever going to translate onto a CD. But they're absolutely amazing. Yeah, yeah. So. So, all right, man, I don't want to take up too much of your time. This is a, I, I, I always love to talk about, you know, MF Doom. And I was, I, I was so excited to get a chance to talk to you about this. I absolutely love this book and I think everybody should go check it out. And, um, you know, if you can't find it, hopefully they know enough to print some more, you know, cause, yeah. um, I think a lot of people are going to want this. Um, and if it's got doom on it, it's going to end up in my collection. So that's the thing is I know people are just buying it cause they like doom or mad lib or mad villainy. So it's like, I hope people, you know, I'm going to be honest. I bought a couple of 33, 33 and a third books. I put them on my bookshelf and I didn't read them. So, you yeah. know, if you want to do that, feel free. But if you, I hope people enjoy it if they do actually read it too. So, um, well, Doom yeah. does fit like this very narrow, you know, that people actually will go deep down the Doom rabbit hole. A lot of people, That's you know, because I've never read the OK Computer 33 and a third that I have, and I probably never will. But um, with Doom, now it feels like you're squeezing blood from a stone with doom because it's like uh-huh. you know every little bit that we have now we want you know yeah yeah so um and i hope you get to write the danger doom book because oh, yeah. i definitely want to read that i i would love to um it's uh so just quick question how long did it how long did did you put into this book um i keep forgetting exactly how much it, i actually like my my sense of time i think is distorted i think part of that is like covid or whatever but like yeah i think it was a year it's been maybe almost two years since i started working on it or like a year and a half but then looking back on it i think for a first draft i had to write in like six months and i was thinking because they're short books too so it's mm-hmm. like thirty three thousand words because it's 33 and a third like a real oh novel okay would be that like <laughs> a real like novel would be twice that amount. And, you know, sometimes I've written a blog, ran a blog post that's like 10,000 words. So I was like, I can do that, you know? Right. Right. And then in retrospect, I wish I had more time and I wish I had more words because I had to cut out like 20,000 words. Was there anything in particular that was cut out that you think could be worth, uh, you know, dropping jewels on us? It's nothing really like um, juicy or, or like new information i don't think but a lot of just more interviews with people and like going deeper into i guess doom and madlib's backstories and like the backstory of stone's throw and stuff like that kind of leading up to the album yeah there's a great podcast if you haven't heard it the um i think search did it mc search did it about about doom which um, yeah i I listened to it and i think it's in the bibliography of my book so yeah, this is the other thing too. I was going to mention is this is one instance where you know the footnotes at the end. I looked up everyone, and I'm going to go back and read almost all these articles that I haven't read because I was yeah. so happy that was there. It was very well, and there's stuff I stuff I'd never seen before. Yeah, definitely everyone should check out if you're interested. Check 
check out all those articles. Um, one more um, question on this. So the approach you took, I, like I said, I've only read a few of these different types of 33 and third books. Is this, is this a, the approach you took of, of writing from, you know, the, the stories, um, the, you know, the Dr. Truth verse and stuff. Is that, was that a surprise to them or is that something that sort of appears in, in some of the, a lot of their books? I think it appears in some other books. I know the John Darnell of the mountain goats, uh like indie singer songwriter yeah yeah yeah, he's great he wrote i think he wrote a book for them and he it's like completely fictional i forget it's about ozzy osbourne or something like that oh my god that sounds amazing yeah and they were really receptive to the idea because i didn't pitch it as a fictional kind of framing and a few months into working on the book i realized that was the direction i wanted to go and so i just emailed like the editor that i worked with there and she said it sounded like a good idea and would fit the theme of the album. So they let me run with it. Were there Doom fans on that end too? Uh, I don't really know, to be honest. I think so, but I'm not, I haven't like really talked to anyone about. Yeah. It's got to be a bunch of music, yeah. you know, kind of music geeks working over there. And you probably can't exactly, have a room yeah. with like five music geeks that have at least one that's into Doom. So, yep. you know, cool, man. All right. Well, I really appreciate your time, Will Hagel. Mad Villainy wrote the book on, as far as I'm concerned, the greatest album ever made. Um, yep. Go out and read the book. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure talking to you, man. Thank you for having me. Bye. Appreciate it.